Hello, and welcome to the Confidence Academy podcast. My name is Lily Badcock, and I am a transformational confidence coach, helping you to thrive in spite of anxiety. Each week, I will be sharing interviews with guest experts from around the world who have lived through their own experiences and who now help others to do the same. I will also be sharing the tangible steps you can take to start managing your own anxiety. It's my aim to reach as many people as possible with the message that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle may be, there is hope and there is a way to create an amazing life for yourself. The incredible people I've been blessed to interview are walking, talking examples of how this is possible. And I truly hope you will find their stories inspiring, uplifting and motivational. The conversations are very open and candid and occasionally may include some adult language. So please take care when listening around little ones or grab some headphones. This podcast series is brought to you in association with Lily Badcock Confidence Coaching, offering private and group coaching to help you thrive in spite of anxiety. If you're ready to ditch the stress and frustration of battling anxiety every day, why not visit www.lilybadcock.com to see how I can help. There are free resources available to download and start using straight away, plus the option to sign up for ongoing coaching if you wish. Before we dive in, don't forget to leave a review for us on iTunes and to check out the links in the podcast notes to the free resources we have available for you. But for now, let's get you on your way to living your epic life anxiety-free. Because remember, confidence is yours as soon as you choose it. Hello and welcome back to the Confidence Academy podcast. And I am joined this week by Dr. Melissa Gressner all the way from Denver, Colorado. Melissa, welcome. Thank you, Lily. Thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. So uh, I, I was told that this is Dr. Melissa Gressner, but Melissa is fine. So I will continue with Melissa and I'm not being disrespectful. <laughs> not at all. That's what I tell all my clients and colleagues to call me. Yes, absolutely. So Melissa, you're a licensed clinical psychologist. So do you want to explain what that is, first of all, and then we'll launch into your backstory from there? For sure. So I went lots and lots of years of school first. <laughs> and I had my undergrad bachelor's of science and psychology, and then I went on to graduate school. So I have my doctorate in clinical psychology, and that was a five-year program with a lot of clinical experience. Um, and really my expertise, you can focus in research or clinical work, which means, you know, sitting across from clients and doing psychotherapy. So that's my passion and expertise is working with clients on therapy to kind of really make the changes that people want in life. Um, so that's kind of what I do um, and now have my own practice. I've worked in other arenas in the past before owning my own business, but I'm very passionate. My big why was to kind of reduce the stigma of mental health as the big why and why I got into this. And then my day-to-day -day was just to help people on their journey to change their lives. Amazing. And I'm really excited to have a doctor on. You're my first doctor on the podcast. And I think it's really important because we try and cover all aspects here. And this is one of the first episodes where we've actually got someone who's coming from more of a scientific background and more kind of fact than you know than than the mindset stuff which I love the mindset stuff and I love mm -hmm. all the the energy work and all of the kind of woo woo stuff but yeah. I know there are people listening who uh, very much relate better to the scientific side of things and you know they will feel comforted by that so I, I'm really grateful that you're on so thank you thank you um, so what I would love for you to do firstly is if you would share a little bit of your story so I know from our conversations before this uh, interview, um, there's been a lot of correlation between your personal life and obviously into what you're doing now for a job. So please yeah. go ahead and share your story. I may throw some questions in as we go, uh, but I'll try and let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that would be great. Well, I'll start off with saying, you know, and I've worked, I've trained um, graduate students in psychology and they're always asking me, 
you know, I need to figure out my specialty. What's, what am I going to specialize in? And I'm a big believer in our specialty isn't necessarily something we choose. It's our specialty chooses us. Mm -hmm. And that's completely what's happened in my story, both personally and professionally. Um, and it was just kind of the universe working its magic that actually I was on my um, kind of residency in psychology. I was working on my residency my final year before kind of uh, becoming a doctor, I guess you could say, finishing my degree. And um, I basically had my first really strong anxiety. I guess you could always say I've run on the anxious side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I experienced my very first panic attack while I was on my residency. I was actually um, had a very negative plane kind of flight experience. And so I don't know how many details you want to know. Um, but basically I was flying, gosh, I don't remember. I think it was New Orleans. Anyway, I was flying home from a trip and I was on a plane and the plane, we sat on the tarmac like for over an hour and they kept getting on and off and on and off the pilot saying, we think we fixed the problem. Oh no, wait, no, there's another problem. Oh, and the pilot was definitely oversharing. Like, I'm a kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, I really think that all his sharing of all the problems <laughs> was not helping my anxiety. And then the kicker, which you can see, and I can pull this to um, how we create negative cycles to, you know, later on. But I remember sitting there and something so strong, it's still in my head. I mean, this probably happened, let me think, this would have been circa 2004. So this has been a while. And um, anyway, I was sitting there and the pilot said, okay, folks, after about an hour, hour and a half, I think we fixed the problem. It's kind of like your home computer when you like restart it, reboot it, and then you're good to go. And I'm like, wow, that's that now we're taking off and flying. <laughs> based on like, you know, so I was clearly already anxious before that flight took off. And then it was a very rough flight. Like there was lots of turbulence. There was lots of like flight attendants go sit down. And um, so anyway, I, I ended up landing that flight. Like I had my first full blown panic attack, breathing heavy, tears streaming down my face. My, he was my boyfriend at the time, but now husband, I remember picked me at the airport and it was a mess. He had never seen me like that. And of course, being a psych, you know, psychologist in training at the time, you know, you're, I'm thinking, but I can't manage my own anxiety. Like, <laughs> but, um, anyway, so that's probably my first really intense version of anxiety. And I remember the next time I had to fly again, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to fly? I was so scared to fly. I did not want to fly again. I did not want to go through all those emotions and I'd flown before and never really had issues. But after this really negative kind of flight experience, it completely changed my relationship with flying. It also then I even noticed in other areas of my life, like if, you know, people said, oh, well, yeah, if things were kind of shaky, it made me much more anxious. Um, and I'll never forget at the time I had a supervisor, a clinical supervisor who I was telling and, and of course being trained in all these techniques, you know, um, deep breathing, relaxation techniques and distraction. And as a psychologist, I'm trained to help others and do, and I know these things. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if they're helping. She's like, yeah, just go get yourself some medication. <laughs> I was, <laughs> but I remember thinking, I was like, well, wait, I, that's not what we, we don't always just do medication. But, um, eventually I did like eventually just to fly. I had to take, I took Xanax, um, to fly for the first time because, the techniques weren't enough. in mm. those first few times I flew again, they just weren't enough. Um, anyway, I could go on and on, but um, basically, I mean, now I remember then cut to six years later, I had to fly again and I was pregnant with my first son and you don't really want to take Xanax when you're pregnant. And I remember talking to my, I worked with a nurse midwife and I talked to her and we talked about what to do and how to manage it. And that was then my first successful flight in six years, not taking Xanax and doing some other techniques and things. And I still now, since then, that's been like eight years ago, I feel like um, we can talk more about this. I wouldn't say I've conquered my anxiety. I would say I've found ways to manage it and cope yeah. with it. Right. Yeah. And so I definitely now, 
in working with clients when people, I do feel like it's helped me both professionally and personally when somebody sits across from me and talks about that extreme panic feeling or having a panic attack to know that like, I know exactly what that feeling is, not mm. just from a scientific, like I've learned it in a book, but I've mm. actually personally experienced it. And when appropriate, I might share that with a client because I think it can be really healing or grounding or people, especially with anxiety, people feel like they're quote unquote, I don't like we're using this word, but crazy. But mm. when you have somebody sitting there across from you saying, no, no, you're not crazy. Like I get it, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. And I think, I love that you said, oh, I love a lot of what you said then, but you know, the fact that you said you didn't want medication, but at, at, at one point you did need it. And yeah. it's, I think so many people feel like um, when they're on their medication that they've somehow failed or they've given up or, or yeah. they've taken an easy route or, and it isn't. And I, it was the same for me. I, I didn't want my meds either, but yeah. I didn't recognize that at that point I needed them and I was lucky because my doctor said you don't need these really yeah but maybe you need them for the moment and yeah so I love that you said that and I also love that and I'm sure you didn't love it at the time but I love that this happened to you in spite of the fact that you had been doing years of schooling and you've learned all the techniques, you've read all the books, you've, you know, yeah. you've done all the hands-on stuff. And the thing is, I, you know, so many, I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with it. People that have anxiety feel like, oh, why is this happening to me? I must have sure. missed something somewhere or I must have done something wrong or, you know, yeah. I'm stupid because I, because I, you know, I speak to people all the time and they constantly say, I know I'm being stupid, but it isn't about that, is it? It's completely out of our control at that point. Yeah. And so I love that. And also, I really hope that anybody listening who maybe isn't suffering from it personally, but is trying to support somebody that is, can understand that in that moment, you're not choosing to panic. You're not you know, you haven't got to a point where you're like, oh, there's nothing left to do but panic. Let me do that. Yeah. It is literally a reaction. And half the time, the person having the attack doesn't want it either. And you sure. can, yeah, you can even think in your head, like, why am I panicking about this? Like, oh, because I know I'm safe and I know this and I know that. And yet here I am and I can't breathe and I want to throw up and I think I'm going to die and I've yeah. got pain through my chest and all these yeah. things. So I love that you've started with that because um you know it's it's so so relevant and I think yeah. you know if nothing else if nobody gets anything else out of anything else I do on this podcast know that you know you're not going crazy you're not stupid mm -hmm. you, you haven't done anything wrong um yeah. and that sometimes these things happen well and there's such a um, you know I'm a believer and there is this, for a lot of people, you know, a more biological or I kind of ascribe to a biopsychosocial kind of understanding of anxiety, but there is such this kind of biological neurochemical base to it for, for a lot of people. And, you know, even with all the knowledge, like you said, like my learning, my education, my training, um, you can have all the intellect and cognitive kind of understanding of something in the world and that sometimes can't stop biological neurochemical processes from happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And so even I remember I have a cousin who's a close, she's kind of, I'm only child. So she's kind of like my big sister. And we flew maybe a few years after that together. And I told her my experience. She knew what I was going through and she flew with me. But then again, until you experience something firsthand with somebody, I remember she was sitting by me and she was kind of surprised like she saw the whole process happen of like okay I'm managing it but I'm trying but I'm getting anxious I remember grabbing her hand she's like it's okay I'm like I know that up here in my head that it's okay but yeah. my body is doing something else you know yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that then you talked about support you know our, our support system and loved ones you know actually having you can tell somebody but when they experience and witness it with you too um it's a whole nother level i think of understanding for them completely yeah and it can be quite scary or very scary yeah. for them and, and obviously as a loved one the last thing you want to see is is someone you love in distress and all you want to do is help and i think that's where the advice 
like, oh, you know, just think happy thoughts comes from because they desperately yeah. just want you to be okay. They don't want you to be in that situation. Sure. Um, you know, my husband's coping mechanism for a while was just to leave me alone <laughs> because he was like, I can't watch this. I can't do yeah. it. You know, I've, um, I've definitely been in that place. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do to help you. And yeah. that's making me feel sad. So he would go. And sure. obviously in that situation, to me, that's the worst possible thing he could do because then I'm going, oh my God, you're going to leave me. And yeah. at that moment, you don't feel safe. So the fact that then you're going to be left is, is awful. But, yeah. you know, I think it comes down to the fact that everybody is, everybody is a human on their own, in their own right. And when mm-hmm. things like that happen, we all go into ourselves and everybody reacts in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, I still find it difficult. I haven't had much experience of it but I was teaching a class once and one of the girls in the class had a panic attack mm-hmm. and I remember at the time trying really hard to help her and yeah. at the same time beating myself up that I wasn't being more helpful because I was thinking you mm-hmm. know how she feels you know what she's going through you know what she needs yeah but my own emotions was I was still like oh god I'm, I don't want to do the wrong thing either and I don't want to make her worse and Sure. In the end, I think I just got her out for some fresh air and got her breathing. I was like, as long as you're breathing, we're good. Like everything else we can figure out. But but yeah, I mean, even for someone that's been through it, it's still difficult to help somebody when you see someone else go through it. So um, I love that you touched on that as well. So obviously in that situation, Mm -hmm. what created that cycle for you was a catalogue of negative experiences I mean what was that pilot on he ba- he may as well have said oh we switched it off and put it on again and we think it'll be fine that's pretty much what he said that's the yeah. idea mm-hmm. pilots, pilots of the world please don't do that anymore holy moly no oh my god I bet I bet the other staff on the plane were like banging their heads going what are you doing <laughs> like, oh my goodness um so in that situation obviously um for you you, mm-hmm. you can quite clearly see that a catalogue of events happened and that then led to your anxiety and therefore to the attack. Yeah. Um, but what caused it then to repeat? Because especially yeah. from your perspective where you said, you know, mentally, you know, mm-hmm. in your mind, you know that you're safe, that you're fine and you've got these techniques and you've done all this training. Uh, what is it that created that negative cycle in spite of everything you knew and in spite of everything you had believed before that what was so powerful because I mean that's years of training to the contrary and then one douchebag driving a plane saying a few stupid (laughs) things has managed to create this massive negative cycle that you've then lived with for six years before you felt like you could even just manage it let alone overcome it yeah how does that all work and why does that happen? So what we know, and I'll, I'll use kind of my experience as an example, but what we know about many times how anxiety and that negative cycle gets created is that there is a fear experience. So it starts with some kind of fearful, scary, overwhelming, negative, all these negative experience, which I completely had, right? So it starts with that experience, like, so that moment I was sitting in my seat in the plane and he was saying that, and my fear continued to just rise, rise, increase, increase. And then until you eventually had like, I don't remember the moment, but like a full bone panic attack where my heart was racing, I'm sweating, I'm dizzy, I'm you know, very intense fear. And so then that gets created. And so, I mean, cycle is the great, great word to use to describe it because it's like almost like a fear negative experience happens. And then it creates then this, you could say, not sounds so clinical, but I guess I am a clinician, but it creates this mm-hmm. symptom, the symptom of a panic attack. And, and so then you've created, we know that the brain um, has neural pathways, right? If you think about habits, right? Like we do things in the same way. I mean, just the other day I went into a yoga class and normally the yoga mats were, are set up in one direction and they were in the completely in a different way. And I walked in, I'm like, whoa. Oh, it's very disorienting. <laughs> I was like, wait, they changed the, the mat direction. And maybe that's a little like, you know, 
See, I run on the anxious side. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I was fine. I didn't have a panic attack, but I was a little disoriented because my neural pathway and habit has created it to always be in the same pattern and the pattern shifted. And that's what our brain kind of comes to expect over time. We expect things to happen in a certain way. And then that's true with anxiety though. So now then I think I shared every time then I started to get a little fearful of something then my anxiety increased and then I got more fearful and then I got more fearful. And then I, then the symptoms kick in of the physical symptoms and then your body. So it creates this strong, I would say neural pathway of this more fear negative response and habits are strong. And I know in the work that I do, um, if you're comparing negative and positive, even with like feedback or compliments we get from the outside world, external world about ourselves, people always believe the negative and the negative is really easy to pull in. Um, and the positive is much harder, right? Most people struggle with like positive compliments sometimes. Like it's really easy to hear the negative stuff about us. We just bring that in. So I also believe there's a strong correlation between those negative neural pathways that are established and maintained much more intensely than a positive one. So I think that you know, that's, and then it's, you know, it was born, like for me, it was born on that plane. And then it just continues getting maintained until I did something to change that, you know, without addressing it. Um, it just continues to get maintained. And then the neural, the negative kind of anxiety cycle becomes more ingrained, right? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I know, um, I did a show once I lost my voice, uh, all around the same time I was diagnosed with GAD. So I still don't know whether I lost my voice because of the anxiety or if I got anxiety because I lost my voice because it was such an integral part of who I am and what I yeah. love and what I do. It's not only my passion, one of my biggest passions in the world, but it was also how I was feeding my children and putting sure. food on the table. And, you know, so and I, I set myself a challenge the following year or the year after that, I can't remember when it was, where I decided I was going to go back to vocal training. I was going to overcome this belief that I'd lost my voice for good. Because mm -hmm. even though it was three weeks, it was gone entirely. But after that, it wasn't the same and I couldn't rely on it. And if I'm honest, I still don't gig now for that reason. I, I still don't feel like I can fully trust it, although it's much better. Yeah. Um, but I did a show, I set myself this goal at the top of the year and I took, I got this amazing vocal coach who's also a friend, um, mm -hmm. big up to Steve Giles, I better just shout him out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, he got my voice back. He, he physically showed me that my voice hadn't disappeared and a lot of it was habit, even that was habit because in yeah. the time that I had lost it, I'd created the habit of not having a voice. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly even though the swelling had gone down and all of the physical symptoms had eased yeah which my voice to come back I was still singing like somebody who didn't have a voice because I had learned that process it was very interesting to me mm -hmm. and I did a show at the end of that year and it was all gearing up towards this show and I was feeling really good about it and I got loads of other people involved because I didn't want the pressure of doing it all on my own so yeah I hosted the show but lots of other people were singing. Um, and then I, I did this one bit where I had three songs to sing and mm -hmm. I chose two songs that I really wasn't worried about that I knew I could do. Even if my voice did give out, I knew I could get through them. Okay. And then I, the last song was a bigger deal and a bit more of a challenge because that's how I like to do things. I, <laughs> I like, you know, I wanted to make it count. I was like, you're not just going to go and half-ass it, like go and... Yeah. Like actually prove to yourself that you've done it. Yeah. So anyway, I did, I did that show with all the people and it went really well, albeit I did get sick that week, which I think was, um, part of self-sabotage. I think I kind of created that for myself. Um, but then the following week I did this bigger show where I had these three songs and the first song was fine. The second song was brilliant. The third song was all but good except for the very very last note which then my voice cracked and I I just remember in my head before I hit the note it was like you're not going to make it and yeah. the the note cracked and I came off stage and all I could think about was that one note that went wrong 
it didn't matter that I'd done an entire show and two whole songs that had gone really well. It was that one note. That's yeah. what I was, that's what I clung on to. So it makes perfect sense. And I quite often say to people, I don't know why we're built this way, but we are. <laughs> that's just the way we are. We are. Yes. Some people are built that way. Yes. And I think, you know, it, it, I think when you recognize that, then you can kind of let yourself off the hook a little bit, can't you? And you can say, well, you know, uh, you know, I've always classed myself as a positive person, but it was only after the anxiety thing. And I started having hypnotherapy and, okay. and you know, the lady there was like, well, she said, you are a positive person, but mm-hmm. you're choosing to be positive but your default setting is actually the complete opposite. And that's what the struggle was. I was becoming exhausted every day trying to, you know, combat what felt natural to me, which was just to assume the worst and see the, see the negative. And, you know, so part of my healing has actually been to not be afraid of that. I used to call it my dark. In fact, I still do call it my dark side. It's that outlet. It's that, um, that part of me that wants to go there mm-hmm. and I actually I think the panic attacks and the the culmination in all the anxiety mm-hmm. came because I was trying to ignore it completely and obviously there's an element to that which is trying to keep us safe isn't it if you were gonna totally you, know, you were gonna take a walk in the jungle you need yes. to know when you're safe and when you're not and I think it my body was saying to me it's not natural to ignore that part completely. It's okay to not want to run with it, but you have to acknowledge it, like acknowledge those feelings because they're coming for a purpose. There's a reason. Totally. And I, I've figured that out for myself. And I also talk about this, my clients that I think that anxiety, and I can see this be for a lot of, this is an approach sometimes I take where, and it can be a aha moment or kind of where the light bulb goes off for a lot of people when we can kind of translate you know, anxiety, you know, that panic attack, is it a good feeling? No. But we can we make that translation, though, um, back to that negative cycle being maintained. If we continue to fear the anxiety and resist the anxiety, anxiety just increases. Mm-hmm. So if we can learn to accept the anxiety, that's the huge change that I see for people. And by acceptance, I don't mean, hey, I love this. <laughs> acceptance means oh, this is something that I just have and it's the way I'm kind of woven. And so let me learn to work with it and understand it and manage it rather than resist it. And so I know that, and then, you know, like you said, I completely agree. I like to tell clients that anxiety in a way, I like to think of it as a natural alarm system for our body. Like, so, you know, and I can even tell this, oh, wait, my heart's racing. Oh, that's like an alarm going off on my clock or phone telling me, Oh, wait, pay attention to this. What's this about? Be curious about it, not fear it, but oh, so this means I need to slow down or maybe I'm overstressed or maybe I need to take some deep breaths or so it's kind of this body's amazing way to tell us we need to clue into what's happening and manage it. But if we don't do that, then all the negative cycle starts, right? Um, but that's, I think that's how a lot of people I see where change really happens. Yeah, no, and, and that's a huge part of it. And I get people on here that there are some people who are managing their anxiety. And I have interviewed people who have said, I've completely overcome my anxiety. I actually mm-hmm. think, I think that then comes down to your perception of what anxiety is. Sure. I think at a root level, you don't completely overcome anxiety. You would never want to because yeah. you'd be a hot mess. You'd be dead within two minutes because you'd have, like, <laughs> you'd have no idea that fl- flinging yourself out of a window wasn't a great plan or that, you know, running yeah. in front of a train wasn't actually the fun it seemed it would be. You know, there are, <laughs> and it sounds like a really stupid example to give, but if you're saying, oh, I never want anxiety again, then that's kind of what you are saying. Like, okay, well then I have to try and figure out this world without the, without that, um like that gut reaction you know I used to walk through a park on mm-hmm. my way home from school and anxiety would always rise as I walked through it because it was away from the street there weren't always a lot of people in there mm-hmm. and if somebody wanted to attack me or hurt me or confront me or do something it would be more likely to happen there so naturally I was more on my guard as I walked through the park um 
and that, and then when I got out the park, it always went away again. And so I think yeah, you know, it's all down to perception. And I'm not knocking those people who say they've overcome it because I think the people no. who say that are talking about they're talking about the anxiety that has kept them crippled and stuck and feeling like they can't manage their life, like they can't get you know they can't get through their day. Yeah, um, and I think that's what they're talking about. So you know, it's all based in perception. But I think you know it's very comforting I think to hear that you don't have to get rid of it but you and you don't have to do anything but you can manage it and therefore you can live an amazing life you can achieve your goals you can you know do whatever it is you want to do if that's what you choose to do you don't have to sit there with your anxiety label sure and, because that's how I felt at first like for about five minutes I was like oh oh great, so I'm someone with a mental health issue now, I'm someone with anxiety now, and that means that, whatever that means, you know, I can't go and do the job I wanted to do, or I can't meet the people I wanted to meet, or I can't do X, Y, and Z, and, you know, I think it's just, it doesn't have to mean that at all, but so many people think it does mean that, and that's the message I'm trying to get across with this podcast, it's that I know everybody's different and I know there are some very severe cases versus some more mild cases. To me, mine was pretty mild, you know, although it didn't feel mild at the time, but (laughs) you know, it didn't come about some of the people I've interviewed have had absolutely horrific experiences and things. Oh my God, you can absolutely see why anxiety showed up for them because totally you would never want to go through that again. And that's what the anxiety is, isn't it? It's saying, Oh, look out, this is a red flag. You might be going back down that route again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an interesting topic. So interesting. So how would somebody identify if they're in a negative cycle? Because I think that might sound like a silly question, but I, I'm really talking to the people who have been told they've got anxiety or depression or stress or whatever their label is. Mm-hmm. And they may not realize that they are actually in a negative cycle that can be shifted they yeah. might just be thinking, oh, well, this is how it has to be because I've been told I've got this, that and the other. So sure. how would somebody identify a negative cycle and what are some simple steps they could take towards breaking that then if that's what they choose to do? Sure. I mean, the most simplistic way when I thought of that question um, that just popped into my head is, it, so it's really simple, but that we can talk more, but, you know, is... I think when people can self-reflect and ask themselves, I think of two thought bubbles and kind of drawing those in the air. Does this help me or does it hurt me? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I talk about this with clients all the time. Is this cycle that you're in, is it helpful? Like, is it doing good things for you? Is it making you feel good? And most people's answers, if it's around the anxiety realm is no right? They're not going to say, oh yeah, when my heart races, it feels awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so most people, it's a pretty solid, like, no, you know, we want to maintain cycles and patterns in life that are more helpful than hurtful. So I think that's a really simple reflective question that people can kind of come back to and say, is this kind of a health helpful pattern that I'm establishing or that my body or brain is just doing, um, or is it not? And so I encourage people to start there. Um, and then if the answer is, this is not helpful, well, then we need to figure out how to change that pattern. Um, at the most simplistic way, um, this becomes much more complex because this is something I work on with clients and therapy is, you know, how do you stop that negative cycle? And then, especially a negative cycle, and then replace it with a more positive, right, cycle. Um, mm. And so... I think that's how you can um, start to change it. That looks and feels different for each person. It takes a different amount of time. You talked earlier about like some people from a manifestation or energy or holistic way, um, medication, not medication. I mean, we could go on and on. There's so many different ways and approaches. So it's really just, I have clients that don't take medication at all and we work with other ways to change anxiety. I have some that really need medication. So it just runs the gamut. It's also finding, you know, what speaks to you. What is the right fit if you're looking for a psychotherapist, a psychologist like myself, 
finding somebody who is the right fit for you, or if you're called to work with somebody like a mindset coach or somebody else, who is the person that's really going to speak to you to get you to the place that you want. Um, and then, you know, I, my biggest belief too is, um, setting, I'd like to talk about reasonable and realistic expectations, um, for changing or managing anxiety. I know others may say they have overcome anxiety. I can identify with, I feel like at this point I've overcome my panic attacks, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like I've overcome completely anxiety. Like an I scribe sounds similar to you that, you know, I'm not, I'm in a place where I don't fear my anxiety. I still, again, I normally use this mantra of I run on the anxious side and I almost wear that as like a badge of honor. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, we recently hired a new sitter, like a babysitter nanny for our family and was telling her how I have a very long document with lots of details that I'll be sending to you and don't get scared. Please don't get scared of my overly detailed approach. But I, and my husband, between the two of us, I'm known to be overly detailed. Um, but it means the more details, it, that I'm sure to some degree is to lessen my anxiety, right? Like to, the more I can control, the more details I put in there, then it calms me down. Mm -hmm. But it also sets up, I mean, most sitters kind of laugh, but then they're like, oh my gosh, I felt so prepared. You, you had everything in there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's a win, but I, there is, so that's a good example of like, you know, to some degree, my being detail oriented comes born out of my anxiety to reduce mm. bad stuff from happening. Um, and if that stays in a container and kind of contain, then it's healthy and manageable. It's mm -hmm. just watching, um, and making sure that the container doesn't come wide open and it's unmanaged. Right. I think I might've got off track there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get it. Because because yeah. what you're saying is, um, it's all you you can have your coping mechanisms as long as those coping mechanisms are allowing you to live in peace and happiness and and live your life. You know, it's when yeah. it becomes, you know, if <laughs> if you had to write that list like so many times and then you had to watch them read it and then they had to sign it and then they <laughs> I don't make them do that <laughs> no that's it like but you know when it starts to affect like the oh. hours in your day and and all of that then that's maybe something to look at but I think for sure acceptance is a huge part of this I think so many people feel like they can't accept it or, or that accepting it means giving into it and I don't think it does I just think you accept it you're going okay well you know this is my reality right now. A lot of the transformation I've found in my life has come from the situations where I've been able to say, okay, stop, stop everything, press pause. Let's just look at it. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, this is what it is. Let's not be emotional about it. Let's just say it is what it is. Um, for whatever reason, you know, these are the experiences I'm having and this is how I feel. Now, what do I choose? And it's that acceptance of, you know, this is how it is. And actually, I can change that if I want to. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean anything bad if I don't. I can also choose not to change it. I can. And yeah. I think, you know, for me, again, when I was told I had anxiety, my gut instinct was I have to get rid of this. Like, I don't want it. This is going to suck. And, you know, this is literally going to ruin mm -hmm. my day and my life. Um, yeah. But that was, it was like you were talking about realistic expectations. I think initially my, my expectation or my goal was not aligned with where I was actually at on a mental level and on an experience level. Mm -hmm. So as much as I wanted to get rid of it, I didn't actually think I could in that moment and I didn't know how. And yeah. so it just became something else to be anxious about. It was something else that I was worrying about. And yes, and I, and then I wasn't actually doing anything helpful. Yeah. Well, and there's, that makes me think of another piece I would say to this, you kind of alluded to it. Like I think it'd be powerful to change the way we manage anxiety is, you know, back to that negative cycle that gets, we start to also, I said that strong neural pathway, but we also start to see the anxiety. I think there's a power. Like we start to see the anxiety as 
coming in and overpowering us, right? Mm -hmm. Like our minds, our bodies, our psyche, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And that it rules us. And I think a shift or change can happen when we start to accept it. And then we shift the power differential. Like anxiety does not have to overpower and be the strong power over us. Mm -hmm. We can have anxiety and overrule it. So we can, so I think shifting the power of anxiety is not something that overpowers me. It's something that lives within me and that I assert the power of how I'm going to manage my anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. It'd be like, I mean, this is going to sound like a stupid analogy, but it's like, having, it's like having a dog and yeah. going, Oh my God, like my dog has just trashed my house and he, and he doesn't let me sleep in my bed and, and I can't go up the stairs until it's 10 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's a dog. Tell it. Like eat dinner and get off my bed. You know, it's like, <laughs> And, you know, I've, I've spoken about this before, but I gave my anxiety a name because I, I think I got to that point and I can't remember if I read that somewhere or if I came up with it myself, I don't know, but I think it was this concept of take back your, your power. I think it probably came from my hypnotherapist I was working with at the time because she talks a lot about that. And, um, she was like, you know, yeah, well it it can have power over you if that's what you're allowing or you can just choose. And, uh, while negativity may be the stronger thing sometimes you can still create new neural pathways in a positive light and you can enforce those by the way you constantly think and the way your focus goes and so for me I just got into the habit of talking to my anxiety he's called Bob I don't know oh. why <laughs> and, it, and it, would, it was like you said earlier it was a little bit of curiosity if it showed up I would be like oh Bob why are you here like seriously what you know getting on a plane I I kind of Bob's allowed to come along with me there because it's a very real threat you're going like thousands of feet up in the air and you know it's okay to feel a little bit anxious about that obviously if you're at the point where you're having panic attacks and you can't get on the plane and you want to travel the world then you'd have to look at it but I'm always anxious when I fly anywhere I'm anxious when I go anywhere but I kind of say to Bob right well you can come along you can sit in the back of the car, but you're not in the driving seat. You're not even in the passenger seat. You don't even get to pick the music, but you can yeah. sit in the back and shut up. And if you need to pipe up, then do it. But otherwise, shush. <laughs> and <laughs> that's great. It makes me sound slightly insane, but that's how it, that's how I dealt with it. And I haven't actually, I haven't spoken to Bob in a long time because he's kind of toeing the line these days. You know, he's, he's doing his thing. He shows up when I need him. He lets me know when I might be doing something, you know, that I don't know, might put me in danger or might not make me feel too happy, but largely he sits in the back and he shuts up and he lets me crack on. And, you know, it's for me, I'm a, I identify as a control freak. I'm someone who likes to have control of a situation. Mm-hmm. And for me, that helped me to have control just to be like, I see you. I thank you for coming because I know you're trying to help, but actually you got it wrong this time because I just woke up. There's nothing to be nervous about. Like, you know, there's no, there's no threat to me in this moment that I can see. And it, it just allowed me to, to actually rather than feel the anxiety and go, Oh God, there must be a reason to be anxious. It was more like, okay, well I can feel the anxiety, but let's look around is mm-hmm. actually a reason so you know if yeah. I was about to have a new client then okay you're going to be a little bit nervous or if you're sure. going into a, a new class or something or you know or if yeah. you're doing something that's a big deal like that show that I did then yes yeah. anxiety shows up Bob's allowed he's allowed to show up because it yeah. matters to you and, and and it's relevant but mm-hmm. you still get to be in control of that so I, I love that yeah and so for those people listening who maybe are thinking or maybe they've even started the process of they've identified that they're in a negative cycle mm-hmm. they they've identified that it's something they don't want and it isn't serving them they know all of that and yeah. maybe they've even started to take some tentative steps towards trying to break it i think this is like anything else isn't it it's like starting a diet or starting the gym and then after a week going why don't i have my six pack yet <laughs> for sure <laughs> yes <laughs> so what can what can we do when our pos- positive action doesn't seem to be working how can we keep ourselves on track because i think we yeah. in the beginning with anything 
you know, and people will, will really resonate with this right now because it's just coming up for, you know, we're sort of a week or two into February. Yeah. I know loads of people will have started the new year going, okay, mm-hmm. it's a new year and I'm going to do this and I'm going to sort out my life. I'm going to sort out my finances. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to yeah. be a better mum. I'm, you know, all these things. And then it gets to this point in February yeah. where they're like, oh, I'm not a millionaire yet. Like, oh, maybe I should <laughs> So like in terms of that, when they're in their February, <laughs> how yes. do we stay on track? How do we keep moving even if we can't see those tangible results yet? Yeah. I mean, this is a challenge. I mean, uh, I'll speak more to it, but I think the biggest, I think of, um, we need to have patience. I know some people are like, patience, I know, I know but, but patience and practice. Those are the two things I talk about is that, you know, you know when we talked earlier about creating that negative cycle if you're trying to create a more accepting positive cycle that's going to take time and you know the neural we also talked about that there's data to support that maintaining negative cycles happens much easier than positive cycles so the negative cycle gets maintained very easily but then if you need to stop that and then replace it with something positive that takes more time more practice, more energy. So I know I'm probably not giving the happy, easy answer. There is no, you know, magic wand we can wave. Um, But I think the biggest thing is being patient and then practicing, you know, like a lot of things. The first time we do something, it's hard. Then we do it more, then we do it more, and then we do it more. And a lot of times in psychotherapy with clients, people will often say, you know, when we're reflecting, they'll just kind of come in at one point and say, oh my gosh, I realize I haven't been that anxious lately. I don't even know when or how that changed, but it did, you know? And then all of a sudden we look back and say, where was the moment? And a lot of times people can't even pinpoint the moment, but it means that they've put it into practice over and over and they just keep doing the same thing. It's, you know, use the metaphor of exercise, which is a good example, I think, um, for physically for our bodies. We have to do something eating right, physically moving our bodies for a while before you actually see that physical tangible result. And the same thing if we're changing our mental emotional state, we're talking about neural pathways in our brain. It's not going to be instantaneous. Mm. So it takes a lot of patience and practice, but also back to setting reasonable and realistic expectations. You can't expect that um, so I encourage clients to look for just small tangible things, right? Um, even if we, if your anxiety was a 10, um, 10 being the highest, you know, can we get it to a nine? Right. Mm -hmm. So also setting, you know, like, okay, great. You weren't, um, the other day, a client of mine shared that they were pretty anxious and they had it and they were upset because they hadn't been anxious in a few months. But when they did get anxious, it was much less than it had been like a year ago. So we said they were like a little disappointed, but I tried to reframe it and say, look though, they, they were manageable. They bounced right back. It was a moment in time. And so rather than that being a loss, it's really a win. It shows how much you've changed and grown in your ability to manage and lessen your anxiety. You know, so also yeah. looking at the small tangible changes is really huge wins. Does yeah, that I, lo- I love that because I'm a huge um, fan of setting goals. But one of my... Uh, I wouldn't call it a downfall, but one of my, one of my habits for a while was to only focus on the end goal. And Mm -hmm. it's good to be focused on that because that's where you're going and it's good to have drive and passion and this is what I want. But I had forgotten to pat myself on the back for those little wins. And so I love that you said it's those tangible, those tangible things. And so yes, anxiety may come back. You may see that as a bad thing, but actually it's not because if it wasn't as high as it was before, that's a win. And especially if you acknowledge that's what it was and you knew what to do, that's a win as well. So, you know, like going back to the gym analogy, you may not have your six pack yet, but yeah. you have been consistently going to the gym. Even that's a win. Even the fact that you're totally being a, a professional or taking a program or listening to an audio or you're, you know, you're doing something about it. Mm -hmm. And you may not have it in your hands yet, but I've actually, I think, you know, 
even when we get there, it's like you say, you don't always notice because by then you're on to the next thing anyway. It's, yeah. And, and I think where I, where I really um, shine in my work is I can't, I'm not always the right coach for somebody who is completely consumed in anxiety because it, at that point it's too hard for them to fathom how they're going to be free of the anxiety and how they're going to be so confident. And yet I work closely with the hypnotherapist that I actually worked with myself. Um, yeah. And she'll often send me people after a point where she's like, okay, now they're ready to take off. It's almost like she preps them and then I let them go. So it's a shame to use flying as an analogy there, given your... (laughs) 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 Um, But it's all metaphorical. But yeah, it's, you know, I get get people at the point where they are starting to realise that not only can they manage their anxiety, but they can have an amazing life on top of that. And even if the anxiety is still part of their you know, part of something they relate to. It, it is for me, I, I would still not say I've overcome it completely. Mm-hmm. However, it has been about six months since I felt anxious for no apparent reason. I think now mm-hmm. if my anxiety shows up, I can usually see why it's there. And yeah. like you said earlier, I'm not afraid of it either. If it does come up, I'm not scared of it because yeah. I know I, I have the power over it. I know how to handle it. I know what to do. And through this amazing podcast, I've got a plethora of people I can tap on now. I can just go back and listen to my own episodes and think, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. So yeah, I I love that. And I mean, you know, anxiety, I feel very similar with where I'm at with my own anxiety, my personal life. And, you know, I also like to think, you know, it just, I don't know if I'd want it, no disrespect to people that saying they've overcome it because we all just have to find our own path or journey. But, you know, I, part of it, it just is who I am. Like the color of my hair is brown. My eyes are brown. Like it's, it's part of me. I also believe to some degree it's in my temperament and I was born this way. And I, you could even, I could identify back to my childhood. So, you know, there's pieces of it that I don't know if I fully want to overcome and let go of it's just makes me who I am you know yeah and I think that's the key as well it's it's not about anybody else it's not you know the only person you should ever compare yourself to is yourself for sure Uh, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter if somebody said they overcame it and you don't think you can or or if you said you overcame it and other people think they can't I think none of that matters what the overall message is we're all here for a purpose. Nobody's here by accident. Mm-hmm. Nobody was put here to purely struggle. Nobody was put here to be unhappy. Um, you know, we are all here for a greater purpose than that. And whether you take that journey with anxiety by your side or whether you don't is completely irrelevant. I mean, for me, my anxiety seemed to be terrible at the time. And yet I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing now if I hadn't had that. So it's completely yeah. shaped who I am. It's completely shaped what I do now. It's shaped how I, how I serve the world. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm making a much bigger impact now than I was five years ago before I had it. So For in sure. that respect, it's, you know, Bob can stay. He, he did good. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Well, Thanks, it's, Bob. <laughs> you know, this is the, um, you know, confidence podcast. I mean, you know, I, we talked about this earlier, but that I think there's a strong also correlation between anxiety and confidence. And so, you know, how I've come to found confidence in my own life is in managing and dealing with my anxiety. And it's actually contributed to me, I would say, finding that confidence within myself. You know, uh, we don't grow from life going easy. We, you know, we tend to grow through the struggle right? Like that's how we really grow and change and become stronger. And I believe more confident in life is through dealing with those challenges, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's about becoming unshakable. It's like, uh, I was listening to somebody once, I think it was Anne Wilson, who's actually, a um, she calls herself the wealth chef. So she talks all about yeah. finances and it's all, you know, investing and stuff, but yeah. very spiritual as well. And she she gave as part of her talk she said i think the big issue is when we go through life um hoping nothing goes wrong because then we're totally blindsided when it does yes like instead 
expect the challenges but know you can overcome them and then when they show up you're not every time they show up you're not going to go oh no another challenge like that's it I'm done it's yeah. just like oh and I've actually gone on from that and thought you know it's not just a challenge it might be a block but it's a block you can climb up on top of to get to the next level it totally. doesn't have to stop you but that is a choice and that is a that's a perception yeah but, um, but you're right. It, you know the challenges are what uh, they they are what create our whole existence and our whole journey. And you know, I I don't think I would be very inspiring to anybody if I hadn't lived this myself. If I had, mm -hmm. you know, because I like you say, you can learn it in a book. I could have read a load of self help books and I could have learned a lot about other people's journeys. But yeah. until it's your story, you don't bring that element to it. Mm -hmm. and I actually think that everything that happens is is completely for a purpose like you said earlier totally. your specialty chooses you and whether you're going to go and be a, a psychologist or whether you're going to be a doctor or whether you're going to go and be a deep sea diver in Thailand for pearls like it you know it doesn't matter but your journey brought you there there's a reason why you do that totally so to wrap it up, I'm going to ask you what I ask every single person, which is what would your inspiring message to be to everybody listening? So if you had a megaphone and you could reach all the anxiety sufferers in the world, what is the one thing you want those people to know? Totally. Well, we kind of already talked about this, but you know, let's make it really explicit. And <laughs> my, what I would say is that anxiety can be reframed as a positive. That anxiety should not be something that has to be feared and is a negative. We talked about the body's natural al alarm system, at, you know, looking at anxiety in that way. And that then if we do that, then we can look at anxiety as something that protects us. It can maybe keep us safe. It keeps us secure. It keeps us self-aware and insightful. Um, you know, too much anxiety completes overload and overwhelm, but well, you know, managed intention anxiety keeps us positive and on the right path in life. So I think the huge shift that I want people to say is that anxiety, you don't have to suffer from it. It can be translated into a positive kind of directed goal or using that to help you rather than hurt you. Right. Yeah, I love that. It is. It's about the reframe. I think that's so powerful in all kinds of things in life. Actually, it's it's how you view what that means. You yeah. can't always change a circumstance, but you can change how you think about it and how you feel about it and what that means to you. So totally. amazing. I love that message. Thank you. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So if anybody wants to find out more about how you work or reach out and maybe um, mm -hmm you know, even to work with you, how would they find you? Sure. Well, my uh, website is um, www.drgressner.com. Mm -hmm. um, that's D-R-G-R-E-S-S-N-E-R. -S -S -E um, but we can you'll put that link. It could be a hard to spell one. But mm -hmm. and then I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so if you look me up on Facebook, you can find my um, business page. It's just uh, Melissa Gressner, psychologist, speaker, and coach. Um, I love getting out in the community and talking, whether it's online or what, doing interviews like this or in Denver. I've got out and done a lot of local talks and been on panels to kind of spread this message, especially around anxiety and confidence. So Facebook, LinkedIn, my website, those would kind of be the best places to connect amazing and we talked earlier melissa's already joined the confidence academy podcast facebook group so you'll be able to connect with her in there if you've got any questions about anything we covered today or if you want more information about anything that we spoke about then please get in touch either with melissa directly on her website and as we said we'll put all those links in the podcast notes uh, or over in the facebook group as well and we can get a conversation started over there too so it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me, Melissa. It's been absolutely amazing to have you on. And I hope it's really helped those people listening who felt like it was something they were stuck with that they could do nothing about. Hopefully they are now seeing that mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be the case. And, and, and it isn't even about 
it isn't even the huge task of having to get rid of it completely. There are things you can do starting today to, you know, start with the reframe, just just reframe what that means and decide that that's the new reality, that it's something that comes along for the ride, but it doesn't have to push the gears and, and be in control of the steering wheel. So thank totally. you so much for giving us your time. Thank you so much, Lily. This was lovely. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. You're going to be changing and helping so many people. Thanks for having me on. You're so welcome. As I keep saying, together we're stronger. And if it wasn't for these amazing guest experts like yourself, I wouldn't be able to have this impact. So it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a thank you party going back and forth, but I'm very grateful. (laughs) And to everybody listening, thank you for joining us again for this episode. We're going to be back on Tuesday for another episode of Let's Talk Tuesday. If you have a question that you would like me to answer or a topic that you would like me to cover, please get in touch with me on my website at lilybadcock.com. But in the meantime, remember, confidence is yours as soon as you choose it. And we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. And that's us done for another episode. I hope you're now feeling uplifted, inspired and motivated and ready to start making those positive changes starting today. If so, you can connect with me and my guest experts over in the Confidence Academy Facebook group. We will support you and cheer you on every step of the way and help to hold you accountable as you create your epic life. You will find all of the relevant links in the podcast notes. And if you love this podcast series and you'd like to support it further, then please visit www.patreon.com and find out how you can score some additional training and resources by becoming a patron of the show. Your support means I can dedicate more time to finding the very best experts to share their valuable knowledge and stories. You can support the show from as little as $1 a month, so do please click the link if you can help. Thank you so much for listening, and if you have any feedback for the show or suggestions about future topics you'd like me to cover, please get in touch. In the meantime, I'll be back soon with another new episode and another amazing guest expert. But until then, look after yourself, dream big and live bigger. And remember, confidence is yours as soon as you choose it.